0: Today's scripture is taken from Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in day, not in reveling and drunkenness, nor in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Grace
1: to you and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am grateful for the invitation uh, from the pastor, from the elders, to get to be with you all again. It's been a long time. It's been a COVID time in between. So it's good to be together again. I'm especially glad to be here on this day of Lawson's dedication. Here at this great cathedral for the city at 1580 Peachtree Road. Now I have to tell you the last time I was at 1580 Peachtree Road. I was dressed a little differently. I wasn't wearing black shoes. My shoes that day were orange and blue. And I wasn't wearing a robe. I was wearing shorts and a really, really sweaty t-shirt. And I was dressed in my best effort at red, white, and blue because that's what you wear on the 4th of July on Peachtree Road as you run past the cathedral of the city. Wearing the right thing depends on knowing what time it is. The right thing to wear is gonna vary depending on the day, depending on the hour, depending on the season, depending on the time. That's what Paul is calling on in this letter. And that's what, that we, we already know this, right? We have these conventions, I I understand that uh, the most fashionably conscious among you might be engaged right now in a vivid debate on whether the old rule of no white after Labor Day is still in effect. I I will leave this to greater minds than my own, um, but you can let us all know. So, but we know that it matters what day it is for what we wear. You know, if you were to wear a Santa hat in March, That would be kind of weird, right? And if you were to wear a Santa hat in December, though, it would still be kind of weird, uh, but it would be festive. It matters what time it is. Uh, You might dress up for worship on Sunday morning, but you you don't wear a ball gown or a tuxedo. Those are clothes for another time. And in this long season of ordinary time, your pastors wear green stoles. These are the clothes that fit the time. And today, Lawson, you wear a white dress, and it's the clothes that fit the time. So welcome. You knew how to dress for today. It matters what time it is for what we wear. And that's what Paul wants to teach us today in this letter to the church at Rome. Today's passage tells us what time it is and it tells us how to dress accordingly. So what time is it? I can, I can hear the voice of my grandfather, my, one of my consciences as a preacher, growling in the back of my head saying, it's time for you to get to the point of this sermon, boy. What time is it? You might want to sneak a look at your watch and you see, oh, it's 1138 on a Sunday morning. Paul, those things are both true. But Paul is pushing us to a deeper chronology, a deeper sense of time. And Paul says directly to the church in Rome, you know what time it is. Paul says, you know what time it is. It's the hour to wake has passed, and salvation is nearer now than when we first became believers. What time is it? Paul says, it's time to wake up. What time is it? Paul says, it's the time when salvation has drawn near. You've got to understand what a countercultural word that was to that church in Rome salvation is nearer now than when we first became believers? How can that be, Paul? Because we're further away from the death and resurrection of Jesus and he still hasn't come back. You're telling me it's nearer? It feels farther away. And now we see the power of the Roman Empire ascendant. We've seen threats of persecution. You know, when you get here, they're gonna put you in jail, right? And you're telling us that the hour of salvation is nearer now than when we first believed it feels farther away. But Paul insists, the hour of salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. He brings that same word to us, and it is to us as well, a countercultural word. It's a countercultural word because of the narratives of despair and decline that swirl all around us in this present cultural moment. Those narratives cross the entire political spectrum. You know them. You hear them. They're just in the air right now. You hear conservative narratives of decline that would say, look, there's there's crime in the streets. We've lost control. The southern border is porous. We've lost control there. Ideology is taking over control of our public schools. Family values are in decline. It's a a carnage that makes the American dream impossible. It's a narrative of decline. And you know the narrative of decline that uh, you might hear in liberal quarters. Once, at mid-century, we had strong labor unions and uh, a vigorous middle class, but now we have exploding economic inequality. Now we have uh, resurgent racist violence. Now we have the basic institutions of our democracy under threat. The rule of law coming unraveled. A narrative of decline. And you you know the centrist narrative, too. The centrist narrative is really simple. Once there was a center, but now the center's gone because of polarization. Now, all three of these, they represent different diagnoses of the present moment. They accentuate different things. But notice, all of them arrange the data that they select in the same direction. All of them build narratives of decline. And so, when Paul says salvation is nearer now than when you first believed, it's a word that is a word of judgment on our times and a word of grace for our times. Now, don't get Paul twisted here. He's not giving us a narrative of progress. A narrative of progress would say, we are getting closer to salvation. We are making things better. We're making it closer and closer to the hour of salvation. No, no, no. Paul, Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say we're getting nearer to salvation. He says salvation has drawn nearer to us. And God can draw nearer to us even when we are pulling away from God. Right? But the decisive fact of the universe, the decisive fact that defines the direction of history, is not what we are doing. The decisive fact of history is the decision that God has made for the world in Jesus Christ to love and reconcile the world to God's self. And so Paul says, the hour is nearer now than when we first believed. Narratives of progress and narratives of decline, they make make the same kind of theological mistake, both of them. They both want to fix that moment of salvation. They want to fix the kingdom of God, the reign of God, as a point on a historical timeline that is kind of like all the other points on the historical timeline, right? But, but the reign of God is not something that happens in 33 AD or in 1776 or in 1962 or far into the future in 2112. Rather, the reign of God is not a point on the timeline. You've got to think about it instead like a line that bisects the timeline, that breaks the timeline open, that judges the timeline, that loves the timeline into transformation, that infuses it with meaning, that changes every moment along the timeline. That's what it means to say that salvation has drawn near when the great theologian Karl Barth was commenting on this passage, and he, he did this in a commentary on Romans that he wrote and revised again and again through the 20s and the 30s in Germany. As the world around him was falling apart, as the Nazis were rising, and he said the great mistake is to assume that the reign of God competes with other moments in history. The reign of God doesn't compete with other moments in history. The reign of God defines all of history. So, so so, to update it for us, it, it, it's not like saying the reign of God is a bigger deal than the fall of Rome. It's not like saying the, the coming of God is a bigger deal uh, than the Civil War or a bigger deal than 9-11 war, if you will pardon the heresy. It, it's not even saying it's a bigger deal than Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, right? It, it's not a moment like those, It's a moment that transcends them, judges them, loves them, transforms them, changes the whole character of time. This is what it means to say that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So if that's what time it is, the time when salvation has drawn near, what should we wear? well paul our ever savvy fashion advisor has some advice for us he has good advice he says if this is what time it is i'll tell you what to wear he says the time of darkness is gone so put away the works of darkness the language that he chooses here is significant he's not saying stop doing the works of darkness he's saying take them off it's the language that you would use for like take off a heavy coat. It's summertime. Take off the works of darkness. They don't fit the times. And instead, he says, put on the armor of light. That's verse 12. And then verse 14, in one of the most beautiful images in all of the Pauline literature, he says, put on Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. Don't miss the the startling intimacy of this image. Paul does not say, obey Christ. He does not say, follow Jesus. He does not say, do what Jesus did. He says, put on Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ so that you are wrapped in Christ, so that you travel in the world, presenting yourself as one clothed in Christ, presenting yourself as the very body of Christ. The danger with beautiful metaphors, though, is that they can float away from reality. So what does it mean in our lives to be clothed with Christ? Well, Paul tells us, back up in verses 8 through 10, says that the love of neighbor is the fulfillment of the law right? The love of neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. And Paul also is arguing that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. So in that moment, when we are engaged in the love of neighbor, we are clothed with Christ. We are wrapped in Christ. And that changes everything. Because it means that the call to love the neighbor is not a kind of command. You need to go out there and love the neighbor. You're starting from scratch. There's no love in the world, but it's all up to you. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get out there and love your neighbor. It's the way we often think of discipleship as something that's all up to us that we have to do with our teeth grit through some extraordinary effort. But if love of neighbor is being clothed in Christ, what that tells us is that Christ already loves our neighbor. Before we ever love, Christ's love is already there. And so when we put on Jesus Christ, in Paul's language, we are caught up in the neighbor love that God is already spreading throughout the world. It's not like starting from scratch from a dead stop. It's more like stepping into a river with a strong current and being swept along. God is always already loving the world. And when we put on Jesus, we share in that love. That's the clothing that fits these times. And when we put on Jesus, there is a kind of taste of eternity. That love of neighbor is a moment of eternity that is in time. It's like the salvation that isn't a moment in time only, but it's the moment that defines them all. This loving of neighbor is eternity in time, here's what I mean by that: it, Love has to be in time, right? It has to happen in history. It can't just be a concept. It can't just be something that people write about. It can't be that. It's got to be in time. It's got to be in It's got to be real. At the same time, it's in history, but it is not. It is not controlled by history, because all love, even the love of the best person you've ever met. All love begins with a moment of forgiveness. All love involves forgiveness along the way. And what forgiveness is, is just a refusal to let the past determine the present. It's a refusal to let the past determine the present. We say, I'm going to love in this moment regardless of what has happened. So it's in time, but it's not controlled by the past. And it's also not controlled by the future. Because if love is controlled by the future, then it's conditional. It says, I'll love you if this set of events happen in the future. I love you if you do this thing for me. I love you if you make these grades. I love you if you behave in this way. I love you if you lose 20 pounds or if you get the promotion or if what all of those conditions, right? That's when the future bears down on the moment of love. But the future doesn't control love. Because love isn't conditional. So it's in history, but it's not controlled by the past, and it's not controlled by the future. It's eternity in time. All right, I know that's kind of theological school professory, getting kind of abstract, but you already know this in your bodies. We know those times when love is so powerful that it stops time. We know that when the baby snuggles in to us close. We know that when we look into the eyes of our beloved and we receive love back, eternity in time. We know that when we are lost in conversation with a trusted friend who is restoring our soul even in that moment. Eternity in time. We know that when we are in prayer and God meets us in ways that exceed all that we could have asked or imagined, ways we can't even put into words. Eternity in time. We know that in the promises made at baptism that are here now and extend through all of time. We know it in works of mercy in which we join the healing work that god is already doing and see lives knit together right before us we know it when we hear calls for justice and hear the prophets and the voice of jesus the voice of paul echoing through the centuries eternity in time and most of all we know it definitively at this table when we taste and see that the lord is good What time is it? Salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. So what should we wear? Put on Christ and receive this glorious life that God is already longing to give. Hallelujah and amen. Thanks be to God.